Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, this is completely unannounced um, and uh, wasn't planned ahead of time. So I don't know if anyone is even going to be here, which is no problem at all. But um, it is the Feast of the Apostles, so Blessed Feast. And a lot of uh, questions, a lot of one-on-ones, a lot of everything has been focused so much around um, conflict. And unfortunately, it dominates so much time in so many of our lives. It does a lot of damage. So um, I had written a document that, Anybody who's used to talking with me probably hates me for the document. Usually it's cussed out. Um, but I was rereading it recently and realizing that uh, it's a bit wordy. A and B, I think a video format could be good. Um, some of the sessions, like as I continue, will probably be live and on purpose. We'll see. Um, so that there can be more uh, live time interaction. But since the first uh, session or talk or whatever you want to call it and this is more uh, the theory first um, I don't think it's um, a terrible thing uh, to start off with uh, maybe the less interactive version of things um, it actually might be appropriate even uh, that this first session uh, is uh, on the Feast of the Apostles because these two who are martyred together and we celebrate together are actually two apostles that had conflicts. So there's there's nothing uh, to worry about about having conflicts. Anyways, another part of why I want to do this, I'm sorry, I'm half scripted and half off the cuff with this, but I think when it comes to um, family, when it comes to spouses, when it comes to close friends even, we often run into this danger where because we've known each other for so long, we often interpret each other through the lens of history. So we tend to view people in one way, and it's very hard for us to view them in another. And when we think we've come to understand each other, um, a lot of the time we haven't, um, but we think we have. And so sometimes like a third party might step in, and then you'll have one person in the dispute being like, oh, you don't understand. I know this person. They're always like this. They always think this. They're always stubborn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we start to have um, these built-in biases. Anyways, all of that will be part of the different discussions. But I just think it's a it's an important thing to understand how to how to deal with it in general. Obviously, I'm I'm as I said, I'm focusing on marital, relational, familial. Um, but I, I do think this works for any kind of conflict. I just think that there's there's unique obligations um, in the family context that there might not be in other contexts, like maybe work or maybe in other places. Um, so I'll start with uh, the theory um, and then uh, see how far that goes. And then there will be 
different sessions of, of, of the different aspects that I see. They're not, I don't think they're that long per se, but um, I think people submitting also some of their feedback, there'll be a, a form you can fill out um, for feedback or proposed scenarios or things to work through would be good for how the theory and the, and the stuff can become more real. But uh, to start with, as the wise Solomon said, um, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And I liked using that as the framing work is that anger, hatred, it just, it increases obviously conflict. Whereas true love covers, cover, love is not looking to expose. Obviously we're talking about conflict. So we're going to be talking about where we have not been able to love perfectly, but I like setting it as the tone because Christian Christians dealing with conflict is different from just in general dealing with conflict because with Christianity, there is an objective truth that we're referring to as we'll see in the theory. Um, so nothing um, I'm using for those of you who have the document, um, I'm using that as a starting framework. I'm going to elaborate a little bit, maybe be a little bit less wordy. For those of you who want access to the uh, document, feel free to um, to use the uh, the feedback form to to have access to it. There's uh, there's there's no holding it back. I just don't didn't want to put it on a fully public space to start. Um, so number one context is that the gospel is the gospel, and in Christianity, we will always come back to the gospel. That's what is inherently different about a Christian approach. In another approach, it is my standards, what I can handle, what I think the other person can handle, et cetera. In a Christian framework, it is about first and foremost, what does the truth say about any particular matter? Um, because marriage, a Christian marriage has as its goal, salvation. Um, and a Christian who is married is working out that goal. Um, salvation, unity with Christ. There's there's so many ways of saying it. Um, marriage is one way of doing that. Monasticism is another way of doing that. Um, but I'm here not trying to get at, again, the, the theory of marriage and the theory of monasticism as much as what I'm trying to say um, here is um, there's a goal. It's not random right? And there's a goal to your marriage. If you don't have that goal in front of you already, your conflicts are going to be very difficult. Um, because if your goal is something other than capital T truth, it's going to fail at some point. I know this still sounds like theory. We'll get into what that looks like. But you're not going to be able to resolve a conflict when you can't agree on what conflict is, or if there's a right way to do something. Because if you can't agree on what the right way to do something is, you're never going to have resolution because it's basically going to be two people trying to get their own way, as we'll get into. And I'm emphasizing the gospel so much because I feel like it is often completely dismissed or forgotten, especially in escalated conflicts. That's when people tend to be like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, this is the most important time for you to need it if your marriage is really what it's supposed to be about. If it's not really about Christ, then you need to ask what what it is from a from a Christian perspective. Um, the gospel is our constitution. The gospel is our reference. The gospel is our starting point. The gospel is our ending point. Without the gospel, there will not be um, resolution um, at all. Um, or in other words, the resolution will be based on you, which is finite and fickle. 
Um, that's context. If you don't frame the marriage in the in the context of Christianity, then we're not we're not dealing with Christian resolution. That's number one. Number two um, is I want to get into a little bit about language, the language that we use when we have conflict um, with one another. This is going to be wildly unpopular, and it's going to seem so unrealistic. And I think when we get into the practical, you'll see where this comes in. So bear with me. But and I, I feel already weird that I'm apologetic about something I shouldn't be apologetic about. But within the context of the gospel, there is no such thing as personal rights. It just doesn't exist. So, again, that is not to say that there is not obligations. I'm just saying that the language of the gospel itself is not one that is focused on personal rights. Um, that is a very, just like the starting point. Um, A person could point at you guys from the outside and say, hey, I think this person has a point or this person has a right, et cetera, et cetera. But you yourself should not be viewing yourself um, as somebody um, with rights. You should not be viewing it as this person owes me, this person has something that they're supposed to do for me, because that is not the language of gospel. Even if on some theoretical level, they do owe you something, but on a on a gospel level, they don't. Um, we'll get we'll we'll get into that in a second of what I mean by that in terms of the gospel. Please just don't be start off by being offended um, by that statement. But um, I mean, if you want to get really philosophical, you guys are one, and that for us is not just an idea; it's real. If you're if you're a married couple, if you're a family, you're one in a different way. Um, so to speak of the rights of one is already to speak of the right of the other. Um, the gospel is what to do. And, and if everyone was doing gospel, none of you would even have, to be honest with you, um, a disagreement. Um, it wouldn't even have been an, it wouldn't even be an issue, but we'll get to that. Um, but the gospel actually says, lay down your so-called rights. Um, and anyone who's dealt with me either in confession or in other ways, this gets repeated over and over because it's the gospel, right? Is that we don't have these these things that are owed. And I always like meditate personally on what our Lord said when he prefaces Matthew 5 through 7 with this commentary of, you have heard how it is said, where Christ is, is, is intentionally drawing attention to, I know what the social standard says. I know what the norms say, but I tell you, Right, he says, I know that society says an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, tit for tat. And he's saying, but I tell you no. Right. So the language of gospel is not a language of demands. The language of the gospel is the opposite. I know this might sound completely divorced from conflict, and that you're probably going to assume that that means, or you might assume that that means it's just gonna always be like lay down. Um and what I am saying is that Christ said, yeah, you you ought to. And as we're going to get into, conflicts are those spaces where I'm not able to. But but the way that that gets framed matters. So let's, let's use the framing analogy um, to get into the meat of that. So the analogy overused, that's fine. I like to use is, is the analogy of lifting. Okay. Um, I just think that it works, and it especially works, I think, for conflict, 
um, and even specifically more for marital conflict, but not, again, just that. So our Lord said, there is no greater love than that a man lay down his life for another. So the highest level of self-sacrifice is literally to die for another. And, you know, honestly, um, people get mad when we say that as Christians. Sometimes not everybody gets mad. But it's also funny because the most romantic love stories are the ones that people are very happy when a person is willing to die for the other, even when they're be betrayed, sabotaged, etc. Those seem to be the most epic. But anyways, that's just my rant. So perfect love is to die for one another. The only wrong kind of love, the only circumference, if you will, that you could put around love if you will, is truth, capital T, truth. So you can't do wrong um, in the name of love. So you can't say, I'll deny myself or I use my will to kill someone because that's that's not that's not love. Um, so, and our Lord says, if you want to be perfect in love as he is, you must be willing to die for another. That's consummate love. Now, for the analogy that you all know, um, let's frame this analogy maybe in more human terms. Let's propose that love is our ability to lift for a cause. And I'm inserting here where I don't always, for a cause, which is absolutely truth, salvation, the goal of marriage, unity, all of these things. Um, and I, we're not loving haphazardly. There is a direction, there's a telos, okay? So let's say that ability to lift is, let's say, 1,000 kilograms, um, 1,000 pounds for the majority of Americans. Um, let's say that the maximum human potential to lift okay is that one metric ton now if i want to be perfect okay if i actually desire to be a christian and to fulfill my calling as my own identity i should be training towards lifting that weight okay um now in this analogy any call for you to love or to deny your will or to use your will is a call to lift Okay, and that's going to be the part of the framing of what we are in conflict. We're being asked or sometimes yelled at to carry weight. And I keep on inserting, I'm so sorry. I know that in this theory at the beginning, it might seem like we're never going to talk about actual conflict and that there's this expectation that it's going to be now just suck it up buttercup. But that's not really necessarily where it's going, although that is definitely part of it, but not in the way that you might think. So stay tuned. Now, okay, you're being asked, yelled at, silently like uh passive aggressively being told to, to lift and there might not be a please about it okay now um if you were perfect you would be able to lift it now we are not always if ever able to lift our maximum potential right but we are theoretically hopefully constantly working towards that now conversations about improving your your personal your specific lifting ability those happen by regularly living according to the gospel and speaking with your spiritual director okay i'm not going to spend much time on that here um that's that's the personal development part of how do i get more jacked how do i get the muscle training and the different ways to deal with with me at the gym okay um right now i'm talking about more about um about what the lifting looks like in a conflict between a couple. Um, the analogy is going to, is the context of what marital conflict is. And conflict is simply when one or two people ask each other to lift, kindly or unkindly, 
but something inhibits one or the other from lifting, okay? And I'm speaking generally for now because the reasons for this inability to lift um, are diverse. Um, let me read you um, a passage from St. Paul that I think is relevant as we get into the conflict part first. What causes wars and what causes fightings among you? Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? You desire and do not have, so you kill. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is in vain that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit which he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Um, so um, the, the reason um, that I am using that um, uh, verse, sorry, is, is twofold. Um, and I think I misquoted that. I, th I think that was St. James, actually, um, not St. Paul, but my bad. If I did, forgive me, I'm off day. Um, is one that he starts off by saying that the cause of the strife is your desire, a wrong desire. Um, it doesn't mean, and as we get into it, if you have a right desire, you, you might have a just cause for conflict. A wrong desire is often where we are at, though. And our pursuit of something other than holiness also gets in the way of things. But if we bring ourselves back to the light of the gospel, everything changes. When I am addicted to or pursuing only my own personal wants, that's, um, that's when the conflict is going to be at its worst. So let's get into it. Basically, a conflict occurs when one person wants another person to will, want, desire, do the same things as he or she himself wills, wants, desires to do. So this means that on some level, what I actually want is for someone to think the same way as me, act the same way as me, do something that I want, speak the way I want, have the same opinion as me, you name it. We don't like to admit that, but that's really what's going on in a conflict. Because what would resolve your conflict? If they bow to you, all of us, like, let's be real. Most of us, if somebody's like, okay, yeah, you're right, are happy. And most of us were saying, I want this to happen, they do it, are happy. We have a conflict when the what I want and what happens in reality are not matching. I want another person's will to match my own. That is the only time that there will be conflict. We do not typically conflict if we align our wills fully. Now, God is perfectly aligned in will, so the Trinity doesn't have a will conflict, right? We are working using the gospel for that perfection. We're trying, we're trying to make our will always want what's actually right. Now, a conflict can arise because I don't like how someone is lifting. Okay. I might, I might want the other to lift in, in a different way, or I want them to lift in a different place. Again, I'm using this as an analogy. I might want someone to be less noisy while they lift. Whatever it is, the root cause is that I want something. And reality is not matching that thing that I want. Now, marital conflict is when it is specifically my spouse 
that is not conforming to my will. That's what I'm saying. This is a general conflict thing, but it works well with spouses and families of, of just subbing in in that lifting analogy. Is this a workspace where there's a bunch of us working in it? Is this a marital place where there's two of us working in it? Is it a family space? But they're all different lifters, all different workers. And conflict is that dynamic, that interrelational thing going on between all these players in that scenario. Um, now, I want to emphasize, I'm not assuming that your will is necessarily wrong. I'm simply defining that the conflict must arise from a singular source, your will. And that's what should cause the natural first framing question of, is my will right? Is my will proper? Does my will align with the gospel? Okay, And that is why the emphasis on Christian marriage is paramount. Because the constitution is how you will measure the answer to that question. Right, The straight line of the gospel is the ruler by which we measure ourselves. If my will is inherently against the gospel, I'm already wrong. There's not even a reason to proceed with the conflict because my conflict is trying to convince somebody to do something that's inherently wrong. The conflict is, in this case, not with my spouse, actually, but with the gospel. And if you don't know what the gospel says, then that would be a good place to start. And I don't mean that uh, sarcastically. Um, and particularly, um, again, sorry to those who confess with me as I repeat over and over, but Matthew 5 through 7, over and over and over. Because the gospel teaches me how I lived. The gospel tells me that if someone demands something, do it. By standing up in the light of the gospel, I see and know myself relative to to truth, to rightness, to right, righteousness himself. That's what true humility actually, to be honest with you, is. Um, and I'm calling upon it for the sake of your marriages, your families, your relationships, whatever it is that you're you're hoping to use this for. If I begin with myself, I might already avoid any conflict. If I start by looking in the mirror of the gospel, the fight might never actually move past step one. I'll look up and say, you know what, when I compare myself to the truth, if I'm in the image and likeness of him, hey, it looks like my left shoulder is weak, I need to work on that. Or, hey, this anger, this anger is a sign of my selfishness. Let me, down, lay, let me lay down my will and pamper my spouse, for example. Now, unfortunately, most conflicts arise because we are demanding the other to conform to my will. We're holding the other accountable to the gospel. We see ourselves as the standard, and we think that we are the gospel, and we want others to act according to ourselves. So this starting point of utter pride is what caused the fall of all humanity, and it will also cause the fall of your marriage, your friendship, your family, etc., if you live in that mindset. Now, having said all that, there will be conflicts, okay? There will be conflicts, and, and, and we'll, it's, we'll discuss what to do when that happens. Um, but I'll go through one section first, and then the next session will be more about, quote unquote, the practical steps within it. And then after that, what I'd really love to do is use real examples that if you guys are willing to put in, um, would be good to walk through. Um, but let me do the goal conflict, and then I'll come out and out of the high level thing for a second um, and, and go from there. But the goal of conflicts 
has to be very clear. Clear. If conflict is to be had, it must have a goal, which is resolution. Any purpose other than resolution is inconceivably gospel, right? The gospel is the reason for and the means toward resolution. If your goal is less than resolution, then you are not resolving conflict. You're on some level, terribly as it sounds, pursuing tyranny um, or some other form of self-love and ego because you're trying to force someone to conform to you. That's not resolution. The goal of conflict cannot be to get your way. If that's what it is, your starting point is already flawed. The purpose of conflict resolution is not even to find out who is right, unless by right you mean the gospel. The goal is resolution through and by the gospel for Christians. And the gospel will govern both members of the conflict. If the gospel is against what both of you want, the re resolution is very apparent. The gospel right? Said differently, I think what I'm trying to say is the only arguments, the only fights, the only disputes worthy of happening, and I'm very aware that others will and do happen, and we'll talk about those, but again, high level first, the only disputes worthy of happening are those in which we're trying to interpret the gospel. That's a good health dispute. Is this the right way to do it? That's a great um, conflict, because conflict doesn't even necessarily have to mean negativity right? That makes the goal clear. Love, self-denial, unity, truth, light. The purpose of conflict is resolution. If that's not your goal, there's no advice from anybody of any kind that will help in your conflict, help in your conflict. because you will not be at peace unless you achieve self-gratification. So a person who's not looking for that, you're never going to find it. Um, that's the groundwork of the theory, right? I'm trying to say, here's our framework, that in life, you've entered the stage, whether it's marriage, whether it's family, whether it's with others, where you are in a relationship and that you are a Christian who's in that relationship. I'm supposed to be in the image and likeness of God. So high level is question one should always be, what does that mean? What is the right thing to do? What is What is the right way to be? And if I'm using that as my starting point, I now have a language with which to enter into any conversation that I have. And if I have that in my mind, the language of what am I actually supposed to be doing, it'll help me navigate. So I'm going to do practical later, but I'll, I'll use something minor here just to get a sense of it, of being like, okay, to me, this is the same as saying, let's say in this lifting analogy, I know I'm supposed to be lifting a thousand, but I'm only able to lift 200, is that I would be able to say, hey, I know I'm supposed to be lifting a thousand. Right now I'm at 200. I need to work harder to lift better, okay? Whereas if I don't have that mindset, my mood, my way of seeing the scenario is going to be completely different. It'll be, how dare they ask me to lift this? How dare blah, 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 When it's like, but actually, theoretically, they're not daring you something wrong, per se, in the sense of we're all supposed to be able to do a thousand. They might not be lifting right. They might not be doing the gospel, but we're talking about you, me, individually right now first that I have to see the landscape that I'm in properly first, because then I can say, okay, now that I'm realizing that I'm not able to do a thousand because I'm aware of what gospel teaches, how do I navigate the 200? How do I interact with the person in front of me? That's what we're trying to talk about as a Christian way of dealing conflict. It doesn't become 
A, the person who's demanding me to lift more than 200 be tyrannical over me. Because if I'm that person, I need to be fixed. But that also be, if I'm the one being yelled at to lift 400 and I can't, that I also have a language too. And that's where I'm zooming in on marriage and family um, and Christian relationships where we both have the same, the same language, right? And I think that's why I chose marital and family. Um, and it could be Christian friends. But when we have the same constitution, we do have something that governs us. And so that I can now have a conversation about our lifting even if it's not a, a nice, friendly one at the beginning, but I know where to go with it. I know how to think about it, right? So it's not saying that there won't be conflicts, which is why we have so many, right? And as that reading that we read, our conflicts are always coming from our will, right? And so I'd be, you're yelling at me about how I lift, you're yelling at me about how much you want me to lift, or I'm the one doing the yelling at somebody else for those things. It might be, I don't like what you're wearing when you lift. It might be, I can't stand how loud it is while I try to lift. All of those are the different factors that really affect a conflict. And, and there will be a way to talk about those. Um, and it isn't wrong to express the things that you need, even though the gospel says not. But the difference is that I'd be recognizing that it is my imperfection um, that is the cause of my need. And that gives me that last thing you just talked about, that little bit of humility to say, I'm part of the issue always. Because if I was perfect, I'd be willing to die for love, but I'm not. And that change of tone, that change of tune, that change of attitude might help me calm me down. Um, but I'll I'll leave the intro at that. Um, next time or next recording or session, whatever it ends up being, whether live or not, um, will be about getting into like some guidelines about how to approach the actual conflict. I wanted the theory of what conflict is first because it really matters to have an actual conversation um about conflict if we don't have something to fall back on um it won't work um let me just take a quick look online if there's anything on there um but uh yeah i think that's it i'm sorry for not even uh, uh announcing this in advance but uh i'll put this on the channels and then the next sessions will be, um, if they're online, will be put out first. Uh, thanks for the few of you guys that were on. I uh, miss you guys. Pray for me. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.